Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Beth Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Cold Chart Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. For this episode, we are drinking a beer from Brewery Terra Firma. It's called Infinibe, and it's a honey blonde ale. And I must say, uh, in addition to the can, which is colorful with honeybee hives on it, <laughs> I love the aftertaste of the first sip I had. Like, I wonder what this will taste like. And the honey is right there. And it is just a sweet kind of end to each sip that you take. Mm, it does linger. Yeah, it's a lingering honey taste. Yeah, I had picked this one um, for this episode, kind of this homesteading back to the land episode, because um, Brewery Terra Firma, if you haven't been there before, it's in Traverse City um, and off, off, off of Hartman Road. They grow a lot of herbs on their property. They have real hives on their property. And a big part of their kind of shtick is, in addition to having this cool brewery, is kind of in a wood-like setting with fields around it. Is they, you know, use their ingredients in their beer. So these beehives that are on the front, they do use their own honey. And it even says on the can, the American Agricultural Brewery, oh. <laughs> which seemed like a very good fit for this episode. And a fun place to go. I really enjoy my time at their brewery. Yeah, it's so the kind of beer that makes me want to say, "Honey, I'm home." Okay, we can edit that part out. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I love a good Anthony fun. So, uh, yeah, so that's the Infinity uh, by Brewery Terra Firma. Thanks, guys. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking the Surface. This is season two, episode eight. And um, I've had a recent change in my life, a uh, monumental shift in how I spend my days. And so it actually spurred me to want to have this conversation. Should people sit down as you yeah, talk get about ready this? for this? There's Major a there's a big change that's happened. <laughs> um, no, I, I recently came uh, to own six and that's half a dozen chickens. <laughs> um, my wife and I have uh, recently moved and the place that we're currently residing is a great setting for chickens and, and other animals. And so um, good. thank you. Wow. That was <laughs> not a chicken. Um, <laughs> there's no way you'd be able to differentiate that from an actual chicken. That was excellent. That was good. Um, but I, it, it got me thinking that as, um, as my wife and I moved to this new home and we've had this fascination with, with chickens and, and wanting to raise them as well as planting a big garden is asking myself, what is, culturally or societally, uh, leading me or pushing me or encouraging me to take up some of these endeavors, because it is certainly not an endeavor that makes life easier. And in a lot of ways, it actually complicates things. You have to figure out who's going to watch your chickens. When you go places, uh, you have to be wary of foxes and coyotes. Um, it's, you have to clean up after them. And so for some reason, I myself keep getting involved in these activities that require more and more work from me. But for each of those activities, I'm finding more peace 
And so I'm, I'm, I wanted that to kind of spur a, a little bit of a conversation and see what it might be in culture that's, that's driving this for myself. And then you, uh, both our fellow chicken owners as well. Anthony, do you have a uh, three or four? Well, we're down believe, to two. You're down to two, two and then, tragically died. Okay. And then, uh, sorry about that. We've and then, got about, I think three roosters and we just bought another of like six or eight. Um, so I think we're close to 20 now. Yeah. So you yeah. could almost supply the new Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> dark, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're egg layers. They're egg layers. Um, but yeah, whoever feels comfortable, uh, take it away because it's something that I've really been asking myself, why am I creating all this work? But also just feel so much more connected to the land and at peace. You know, it's funny. I don't know how often you get three podcast hosts together and they all own chickens, yeah. especially like if it's not an agricultural podcast, it's, but we're all. Well, lucky. it is now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think of the three of us, Anthony had them first. Um, I got trendsetter. them. Trendsetter. Trendsetter. <laughs> Truly. Uh, yeah. And then I got, uh, we got our farm probably, let's see, about a year and a half ago now. And we, and my partner had had raised chickens in the past, but this was the first time I had ever had them. So we've had them about a year and a half and, um, they are, they are just delightful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, first of all, when they're chicks and they're in their little box, we were seeing Taylor's right before the show started and, and they're just, they're so cute. And it's crazy. Like when they're born, like within, you know, a day they're standing up and they're doing little chicken things they're scratching already. And you can start to see them start to flutter their wings and, it's just kind of these crazy weird dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Um, and the bigger that they get, they have like those cold dead dinosaur eyes yeah. and you just, you feel like you're connected to something like very prehistoric and different. Oh yeah. When they run across the yard, they, it looks like you're watching Jurassic park on a yep. miniature scale. It yep. does. Yeah. Like a scene where they're like a small dinosaur is chasing you. They, they do look like that and they have like just funny personalities. Um, so, and ours are, you know, now that besides from the little chicks we have are putting out a ton of eggs. So we probably get like seven eggs a day, which for two people is like just bananas. So even right now in the backseat of my car on Taylor's driveway, I have a huge thing of eggs. I'm not afloat in my family <laughs> later. Just be like, take them. I've exhausted every quiche recipe I can possibly <laughs> think of. Um, but I just, I really enjoy them. They're very low maintenance as animals. Um, they are, they do produce food. We haven't had the, I'm curious what you guys, uh, we'll think about this, but we've haven't had the discussion yet. You know, at a certain point after a couple of years, hens will stop laying and they, you know, traditionally will get butchered. And we've had the conversation about like when they stop producing, are we going to try to butcher themselves? Cause that's like a whole nother level of homesteading of like, are you prepared to kill an animal yourself? And many of us in the modern age haven't done that. So what are your guys' plans for your chickens? I'm kind of curious. Would well, you ever, my, would you ever butcher a chicken? Mine are bantams. Okay. So when we got ours, I think it was two years ago, part of it was COVID boredom. Mm -hmm. But the other part was I've been thinking about it for a while. We can have a couple chickens where we live. When I grew up, we had a lot of chickens for years and I, there was a love hate relationship. I hated the big roosters that attacked me. I hated going out in the winter to collect eggs and all that kind of stuff. But I also had some chickens that were pets and they were delightful pets. And I had just been thinking lately, I kind of want to get back to that. And we just hadn't done it for a number of reasons. Well, during COVID, a friend of ours who had chickens, we just got to talking. And they started just kind of eloquently explaining all the reasons to have chickens. And I'm like, okay, it's probably time to try. And she was like, sure. So I go to the places like Blaine's. Um, tractor Supply. Tractor Supply. Right here on the hat. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're and really farmer. farmer up in here. <laughs> and they were always out. 
which was never the case before. And they said, everybody's getting chickens right now during COVID. And finally I showed up one day and they had chickens. I'm like, I'm taking four of them. And they were bantams. They are so adorable. They're like little quail running around everywhere. Really they, <laughs> they lay eggs for us and they're smaller eggs, but we had four of them. It was about the right amount for us. And they eat all your bugs and um, I could get them at night and hold them. When they were roosting, I was able to catch them because they were semi-tame. And so we um, delighted our guests with them. I think we did. Um, so, but I think a lot of it was during COVID for one, you, you've got time on your hands. Yeah. This was early on when people were really kind of staying to themselves. And I think a lot of people returning to the idea of that, maybe we need to think about what it looks like to be self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. And chickens are a good way to go about doing that relatively cheap. And like you said, relatively low maintenance. What about the butchering thing? Oh, so I don't think we'll eat these. I mean, they're barely a meal. <laughs> they're really small. When I was a little kid, nugs, we butchered all our own chickens. And let me tell you, it was a bit traumatic. Yeah. Um, I, I could go into the details if you'd like me to. But I, I have witnessed. Uh, yeah, I have. I've been to, um, there's a farm in nearby that raises turkeys and I had read a story about them and I, and I went and watched the whole butchering process and it was much more, you know, they put them upside down in a basket and make a little incision on the neck. Blood drains out very quickly. That's how they killed the turkeys. Ah. I know chickens might be a little bit different or just slopping the. Yeah. Yeah. There's beheadings involved yeah. and then they have to kind of flop it out. And I remember one time as a kid, one of them chasing me. Like, obviously it's not sentient because its head was gone, <laughs> but they really jump and flop. And every direction I moved, it followed me. It freaked me out. That's like a nightmare yeah. scenario. It is like a nightmare scenario. Yeah. The ghost <laughs> is still following me. Yeah, I think so. I know you got to dunk them in boiling water pretty quick. So all the, the feathers will detach. The whole plucking the feathers the whole plucking. and everything. Wasn't too bad if you did it right. But it was more like, even when I was a kid, because my parents were raising them for the eggs and for meat because mm-hmm. we were not. We were poor Mm -hmm. and it was a genuine source of nourishment for us. Um, But even then they would exempt the chickens that like were my pets. Mm. I just wonder, um, I want to hear your thoughts about this Taylor, because I know you hunt and I just was curious, like for me, um, I grew up in a hunting family, like the men in my family all hunted deer and Mm -hmm. I've ate venison growing up and I've seen like dead deer, you know, strung up in the tree or whatever at the hunting camp. And so it didn't really bother me too much. Uh, I am a nature and animal lover, and having the hens, like I, we've deliberately not named the hens, first of all, because there's like 20 and you can't really tell them apart. <laughs> um, but and also like we were like, well, maybe we will try to butcher them at some point. And to me, I, I respect the honor of it. Like, I think if you're going to raise your own animals and do the butchering yourself, so many people are so disconnected from their food about where, especially like yeah. how gross the agricultural system is in our mm. country and how chickens are raised is just really horrific. So I find something honorable about raising your own chickens and being willing to butcher them and getting your hands bloody yourself, so to speak, you know, and so to see that it's not an anesthetized process, like this is what it looks like for an animal to die. And if you want to eat, maybe you should be more acquainted with that cycle. There's also the more practical part of me that's like, I'm still a very modern woman who doesn't kill mm-hmm. animals on a daily basis. And I don't know if like emotionally what that process would be like. Have you thought about that at all? Um, I've con- yeah, I've considered it a little bit. Um, what actually factors into, I think, what's going to end up being our decision. And I think in this case, Abby's vote probably counts for more than mine does, mm-hmm. um, is that they're not going to perhaps taste as great mm-hmm. if they're, if you're butchering them after they're done laying eggs, like they no longer have the ability to lay eggs. And so for me, I think that, um, that would factor into it. Like, well, do I, do I want to butcher this chicken, which may not taste 
that great uh, because it's an older chicken or do I want to just appreciate the work that it's done for me and just let it kind of live its life on the farm until it passes from natural causes. And that sounds kind of romantic to me. Yeah. Like here's this chicken who gave us sustenance in in the form of eggs each day. And um, now I just feed it, but and it feed it uh, chicken scratch and it can eat bugs and um, keep, keep the spiders away, which I, that's another big reason oh, why I got chickens absolutely. is that Anthony had mentioned yeah. that he saw a major downtick in the spider population yep. inside his house. And I will get a, thousand chickens if I have to, to keep spiders out of my home because I hate spiders. Yeah. Um, well, and in addition, Taylor, once your garden comes up, mm-hmm. our chickens roam freely in our garden mm-hmm. and they ate so many bugs. It's yeah. It's, so I think to me, I find it, well, I do find the, the self-sustaining aspect of butchering your own food romantic in this case with chickens specifically, I find it a little bit more romantic to just let them live their, their yeah, lives Yeah, they're like out. golden girls. Like, you know, they've earned their retirement <laughs> right. to hang out and just be like yeah. ladies. We have talked, uh, my partner and I have talked about potentially, and we may try this this year, getting a couple turkeys um, and raising them for Thanksgiving. Cause they, mm. they don't like, it's usually like a, just a few month process to get to a size of a butchering height. And um, turkeys are, like organic turkeys for Thanksgiving are quite expensive. Oh, so. if you're going to do that, let me know. I think we'll be in. We'll buy a turkey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we we'll may sponsor a turkey. <laughs> we may, but you're right. We may, we may try that um, rather than the golden girls thing. When you were talking about the spiders though, we also, it's been a little bit harder to let them roam in our yard because we've had multiple fox attacks, which we can talk about predators because mm-hmm. it's a uh, very traumatic <laughs> to see predators attack your chickens, even though it's just part of the life cycle. But I watched a, a, a chicken that was roaming in my yard, eat a frog mm. last summer. And it was horrific. Yeah. It was like R rated Jurassic park. I mean, she was just slowly pecking this frog to <laughs> death. No and remorse. I was like, this is terrible. Yeah, it's like nature is eating a tooth and claw. Just a slow yep. agonizing death. And I was like, man, nature is brutal. Yeah. Oh, when our chickens were little, I found this little frog in the yard and I, I didn't realize that chickens ate frogs. I'm like, Oh, I wonder what the chickens, how they responded to this frog. So I put it in the, in the cage with them outside. That frog froze. Didn't move a muscle. Yeah. I would like poke it to get it to jump. Not a chance in the world. It just sat there and it was so still. The chickens actually would step on it as they were walking around. I have never seen a frog. <laughs> that, like, still. that was remarkable. It was like a statue. Yeah, they know instinctually. This you, like, is lowered I'm amongst the, goat the raptors. Into the Jurassic <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, what are they gonna do? Oh, right. It's like tying the goat in the <laughs> yeah. T Rex enclosure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, it's it's just amazing because we are new to chicken ownership. We're not even a week into this adventure, but I was reading up like most of us do on blogs and different things, and um, kind of had to prepare myself and also prepare Abby for hey, one of these chickens could just die of natural causes through throughout its development, and. Now we have this cute little chicken with some digestive issues. And I don't know what, what that holds for this little chicken, but it's amazing how I went from being fully prepared that one of these chicks may die uh, to now being very concerned to the point where it's the last thing I think about when I go to bed is what is this digestive issue going to mean for this chick? And um, so all that to say that I think this connection that I'm getting to these chickens and whether it's a, a connection to the chickens themselves, or it's this bigger feeling and idea of like, look at me, self-sustaining, um, having to go outside each day and interact with nature and with, with the land. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I'm in love with the chickens or if I'm in love with kind of the bigger thing that they represent, 
but I'll be darned if I don't agonize over that little chicken. It's digestive issues. Well, I look at you with your flannel shirt and your tractor yeah. supply yeah. hat. Yeah, you're like you're, fully in the yeah. uniform. Oh, and I play I play the role. I come in every day. You know, if you knew me growing up, I grew up in a very small town farming community, and I spent quite a bit of time making fun of the people driving lifted trucks um, with bush light cans in their in the back, um, wearing their their cowboy boots and their and their hats. I I loved making fun of them because I was like, I am never going to end up like that. I'm going to live in a high rise <laughs> in Chicago or somewhere. And now I walk in, I kick my muck boots off and I tell Abby, I, it's good to be a farmer. And I, <laughs> I don't even know who I am sometimes, but I love it. Well, and it, it, it's so funny that you say that about like the, you know, when you get them, you think, like you said, you're practical and you like, oh, I know some of them might die. Like it's, it's, it's common, especially when you get them from stores. Cause they're a little bit stressful in their early life, you know, in cages, a bunch of little chickens and, um, and so when we got ours, we had, um, our first batch that were outside, I think we had two taken by Hawks in like the first week mm. and a half. And that was like, it was like sad, but also we didn't really see it. We just, you know, they would be outside in the yard. We'd be like in the house, like nearby. And then we'd come out and one would gone and the rest would be like freezing or huddled, you know, together. And the only thing that made sense was some kind of bird of prey. So in that case, they just carry them off with them. You don't see any blood. You don't really see anything. Plus, we had learned about that from Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm a yep. chicken hawk. You feel you feel like a little bit guilty as a parent, sort yeah. of like or a farm parent that you just like let the birds be attacked in that way. But it's like, OK, I guess that, that happens. You can't install like anti-aircraft artillery. Right. Like I can't fence in the entire yard. Um you know, overhead. So, but then when the fox attack started, which was the next predator that we dealt with, we have a family of foxes that are in the woods around our farm. And we thought, you know, if we were out in the yard with them or we play music or just things that would kind of, you know, scare a fox away, like people are here, you shouldn't come into the yard. Um, There was the, the first attack. So we have a rooster. His name is Dwayne the Rock Rooster because <laughs> he's a Plymouth Rock Rooster. <laughs> Um, he's a big, silly, vain uh, bird. And when check, we, check, check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but charming. Yeah, but, but beautiful, but just very stupid. Yeah. Good actor, though. <laughs> yeah, good actor. And when we first got him, like, he's supposed to be doing this protective stuff for the hens or, like, helping them, you know, give them food and, like, things the rooster's supposed to be doing. He wasn't really doing his rooster job. And I was like, Dwayne, you're, like, so useless. <laughs> but then we had a fox attack. And Dwayne came through like a champion. Dwayne, uh, I found like heard this commotion in the yard. It came out. I saw a, a fox streaking into the woods. Didn't get any of the birds because Dwayne had fought him off. All of his butt feathers had been ripped wow. out of the back of his body. So he had this huge, embarrassing bear butt. <laughs> we're all and his feathers were all over the yard. But I was like, damn, Dwayne, like you really yeah. like, okay, respect. You came through for the ladies. Well, like, it you sounds did. like yeah. maybe he was taunting the fox yeah. his butt at him or something. I'm not sure what happened so there. So he did his job there. And then just to kind of just to tie in what you said about like when they're actually when you see them like suffering, mm. or you're just like, Oh, I wish I could help you. I happened to see a fox attack the next time. So a fox came into the yard and like right in front of me grabbed a chicken and it was running away. And the chicken's like, is, you know, a pretty good size. So it was like as big a half the the fox's body. I made this like strangled mother sound. <laughs> like, of, like what I, I screamed for Joe, my partner. I was like, Joe, the chicken. <laughs> and I just felt like my girl, like I could just yeah. see her like being carried off in the woods. And I was like, no, my baby, I'm so sorry. 
Um, <laughs> it just, it felt traumatic. And I will just say that that particular girl ended up fighting him off. And like an hour later, she came out of the woods, like, I don't know, like JLo in like a movie after she's like fought with an ex or something. But she was just like, <laughs> she was all like, she battered, but she like somehow survived. But yeah, just the life and death cycle. You think when you're going into it, I know what it's going to be like. And then when you actually experience it, if you don't, I'm sure if you grow up in a farm, like in the 1800s, you get desensitized to it because mm-hmm. you're around life and death for your whole life. Yeah. But if you're just a little taste of it as a modern person, you're like, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. I, I think that that's kind of what I'm experiencing is a bit of that transition because I don't, I don't plan to stop at just the six chickens. I suspect that in the years to come, we may have some goats or we may have some sheep. I don't know that we'll ever get as big as a cow or a horse or anything like that, but you're going to, uh, one thing's for certain. If you open yourself up to, I think animal ownership of any kind Mm -hmm. is that you're going to experience at the very least, some really gross things that those animals are doing or have done, have had done to them. Um, (laughs) or, or some kind of sad things of like, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some Fox attacks. Um, and so I, I think that that's really fascinating how I know for me, I come from this um, area of never thinking I would be engaging in the the farm life activities that I am now. And so perhaps I have this veneer on, on that right now. Like I, I think that farm farming is going to be uh, again, I shouldn't even call myself a farmer. I have six chickens, but the idea, <laughs> I use the term hobby farm. If that you makes go. you yes. feel like a little I better. Am a, yeah. I am a hobby farmer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's this veneer on it. Like, Oh, it's going to be, I'll use the word romantic again. Like it's going to be mm-hmm. so romantic that I, I crack open an egg and it's a, an egg from my land. Um, maybe there's going to be, I'll be wearing a sweater, a nicely woven sweater that will have come from the wool of my own sheep. I have no idea, <laughs> but um, there is a lot of pain and suffering that can come with that. And we are not, or I myself am not, attuned to that type of thing. And Mm -hmm. so it is going to have to, in some ways, be a uh, slow build and a realization for both my wife and I of like, this is the reality of nature. Like we have a dog and we have a cat, but their lives are quite curated. Mm -hmm. Like we control what they do, the activities that they engage in. Um, And yes, there's kind of some unavoidable injuries and stuff that'll happen, but we have a very healthy relationship with the vet. We've given them lots of money. Um, (laughs) This is different. This is Mm -hmm. like, you're adding different animals in, you're adding a greater number of animals. And, um, I know that I've just, I've learned a lot about how life works just from these little chickens. Anthony, you've had, <laughs> haven't, you've had a couple of traumatic chicken losses. Oh, have yeah. you not? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the first one was, um, our neighbor's dog got one of them and that was totally my fault. I let the neighbor's dog come over. We have a fenced in yard. Our chickens were all outside of the fencing and then they are chickens. And so they came back inside the fencing while the dog was there. And the dog caught one, the the lead rooster, mm. which makes me wonder if it didn't try to defend the others because they're because they're bantams, they they fly like it's easy for them to fly into trees and stuff. And the rest of them got away, but yeah, he took a chomp out of that one. It died pretty fast. Mm. My neighbor felt so bad. We were both sitting there talking when his dog killed one of my chick, my alpha chicken. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, nope, dude, not your fault. The dogs are dogs, and I invited yeah. him over. My chickens weren't smart enough to stay away. The second one just disappeared. I'm assuming a hawk or something like that. And the other two actually last fall, they spent about two months where they wouldn't come out of our shed Mm. where they roost and they weren't looking healthy. So I went and got some stuff to add to their water. Uh, We kind of babied them a bit and it took about two months and all their plumage filled back out again. They got bold and they've been pretty active ever since then living large. 
Yeah, it's just down to two, but uh, they walk around the yard like they own it, and they kind of do. And they because we spent time with them when they were little chicks, we tried to hold them a lot, get them used to us. It didn't make them cuddly like I had hoped. Like I got some of the chickens to be when I was a little kid, but they're not scared of us. And so often I have found when I go out in the yard to do stuff, they come to where I am. Mm-hmm. They like to follow me around and be in the general area. Yeah. Um, which is adorable. It yeah. is cute. We yeah. have also tried to do that. Like we've tried to socialize the chicks and hold them a lot when they're little and and hope that they, but they, none of ours have grown up yet to be super cuddly yeah. either, but the same thing, they're comfortable. And so I always think it's funny, like if I'm out in the garden you know, they'll just like be standing there and they'll just be like pecking at my shoes. And yep. I'm like, what, how is this helpful to you? Like, what are you getting out of this? Oh, they love it when you work in the garden. Yeah. Absolutely. You turn up dirt and they are oh, right they there. Oh, they come for the worms. Know, and their little, they're so excited. Yeah. And you're good. Sometimes I just lay down and just watch them. I get down at their level and just watch them. I've seen yeah. it. I know he does. <laughs> well, I, I guess my question is, so Anthony, you have a, a history uh, from when you were a kid, you had yeah. chickens and that almost seemed the way you painted it, like uh, at least a little bit out of necessity. It was something that, that you, your family was very accustomed to. And then you came back to it in adulthood. And then Beth, I know that you and I are probably in a similar situation where this is not at all a necessity. It's been by choice. And what, what is leading us to that? Because I know it's not just limited to us and I know it's not just limited to chickens. Um, But people are trying to find ways to engage in some of these almost like vintage activities. And I don't know if they're trying to find a a greater sense of purpose, a greater connection to, to land and to their food. But what, what do you think it's been, that's been driving this kind of behavior from people? Yeah. I I mean, I definitely think, I think, I mean, to Anthony's point, um, I think the pandemic definitely exacerbated this for a lot of people or made it more of a priority um, just our purchase of our farm in general was based on, we, we were living in an apartment in downtown Traverse city, which was a life that I really liked. But during the pandemic, uh, it started to feel a lot more just dangerous and claustrophobic to be in a building with a bunch of other people and to be so packed into an urban center. And I couldn't even have bird feeders without my cranky neighbors yelling about my birds. And I was like, I really love bird feeders. <laughs> I just like, I was like a certain point where I was like, I want to have land And I think the pandemic fueled that feeling of like, I want to be self-reliant. I want to know where my food is coming from. There were, you know, periods of the pandemic where we were all like afraid to go to grocery stores or washing our groceries, whatever. And so I think all of those things, like the desire to be healthy, the desire to have space, um, to be self-sustainable in case the systems weren't working. I think that all came up during the pandemic. But I think in general, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I can only speak for myself, but... I do think we have a really strong modern disconnect from the land, from nature. I mean, we're not an agricultural society anymore. We have agricultural industries, but the average person is not agricultural in our country. We have grocery stores. That's where we get our food. We don't raise our own food. And if we do, we have like a hobby garden. But it's like if we had no access to a grocery store tomorrow, most of us couldn't make it that long. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that there is a lot, I think there's a movement of a lot of people who sense some sort of sense of loss for that, that something has been lost and not being connected to the land. And I think you can certainly see that just in our health and our obesity and that, you know, it's not good for us to not be eating fruits and vegetables and things that are healthy that you normally grow. You're just eating all this processed food from fast food restaurants or from craft or whatever, and it's not the same. 
um, to me, I had explored that feeling more and just hiking. Like I was just trying to get out in nature more. I just realized a pandemic every time I was in a park or hiking somewhere, it was the one thing that was helping my mental health during the pandemic. It brings mm. my you know, blood pressure and breathing down. I tend to be a little bit of a high, strong, uh, fierce kind of person anyways, it was just making me calm and feel safe and centered again. And I think there are a lot of studies that show how much children are losing out on by not being in nature, not playing outside the way they used to just all the screens and video games. There's overwhelming psychological studies. I've done some for college about this. So those are all just some reasons. I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, there's a Jacques Cousteau thing of you protect what you love. And if you're disconnected from the land, you won't protect the land. You don't care. But if you spend time with it, you realize how important it is. And I think it can be very restorative for a lot of people. But Anthony, what like what is it for you? I think for me, it's a little bit of nostalgia. Hmm. Um, it's a reconnection with childhood, and child. Not all of my memories of childhood are good, but there's something about the uncomplicated nature of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I can't deny that's part of it. Same thing with gardening. We have a pretty big garden every year, but my parents have big gardens every year. Um, so there's something, there's like a legacy aspect to it. Like, I don't want that to die. And even though, like, I could tell you stories about the rooster that used to chase me around until the time I, I took a two by four to it and stopped it. <laughs> um, I didn't kill it just to be, in my defense. Okay, well, that, it never bothered how me. that story sounded. I should have started out no, no. with that. There was one time I had to go collect eggs <laughs> and this rooster would chase me every time and it was big and it hurt. Mm-hmm. I was terrified. One day I was just done. So I went into the shed, I locked the door behind me. I had a two by four and I beat the tar out of that rooster now, but, oh, uh, in my defense. This is an amazing story. Um, yeah. I didn't like break its wings or anything. You got to say this is a big rooster and I was a kid. Um, it never came close to me again. And I remember a couple of weeks after that, my dad going, wow, that rooster's not bothering you anymore. And I never told him. You're like, because like, nope. I put it in a Thunderdome. <laughs> That's right. Nope, he is not bothering me, is he, Dad? One of us is walking out of here. That's you right. still have the scar under your eye. <laughs> uh, so uh, anybody listening at home, I'm not recommending that approach. Yeah, Peter's um, not endorsing this yeah. podcast. But we actually lived in a kind of a farmhouse in the middle of a cornfield for a while. And my we not only raised chickens, my dad made a deal with the DNR Sounds like an under the table kind of sketchy thing. And it wasn't where he got eggs of quail and pheasant and we would hatch them mm. and then we would keep them until oh. they were old enough. And then we just set them loose. Mm. And so the fields around us were full of quail and pheasants. That's cool. Mm. And then we raised ducks. We had geese. I hated the geese. They're we, mean. They're mean. Geese are yeah. Yeah, aggressive. We had turkeys practice. and they're dumb. I'll just warn you, Beth, they're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you hear stories about it. Those stories don't do it justice. Like <laughs> you have no idea how dumb turkeys are. Uh, we had a goat for a while um, and I had this collie and we lived by a stream and I would go down and try to shoot fish with my BB gun and it never worked. Yep. But it was in some <laughs> ways, um, I was an unhappy child in many ways, but not because of those things. Those things were, were for the most part, quite good. Even the bad stories about roosters. Mm. Um, and so I think for me, there's something that's nostalgic about it and I'm not recreating it for my boys. I'm not trying to do that. It's for me, I'll be honest. Um, and I found, especially during COVID, and this sounds so stupid, might not to you, having those little chickens and watching them grow up in the summer. And I literally would spend hours laying in the yard right there with them, watching them, trying to get them to crawl over me, um, making stupid little noises <laughs> at them. 
and it was such a soothing summer. Mm. Like it forced me to, to step out of the rat race. And if I, if I'm going <laughs> to spend time with my chickens, I like, they're not going to do the stuff I want to do. I'm going to have to do the stuff chickens like to do. In this case, it's just hang out in the yard. <laughs> and there was something, something deeply soothing and restorative about it. Um, but I, I think that's probably true when it comes to things with a lot of different animals. Like mm. when you describe your farm idea, Taylor, that sounds really appealing to me. And because I grew up in a farming community like you did, I know there's work to it, right? right? I know there's downsides to it. But it feels like what it gives you in terms of slows your life down, connects you with the earth. Um, and if I speak of it as a pastor, like there's something about enjoying God's good creation. That I love cities and I love communities and I love technology. Now, those things are amazing, but there is something about getting back to something that's simple, unhooking from things. And there's nothing artificial in that moment. Mm -hmm. There is funny. I'm not, um, you know, in the church anymore, like, like you guys are. And I, my beliefs are probably pretty complicated. I would say undefined, (laughs) but I do, um, there is a spiritual element to nature to me that it's probably most present in nature than any other part of my life. Mm -hmm. I don't go to church anymore. Um, but there is something so complex and beautiful and intricate about the way ecosystems work together. And you can say that even on a small level in a garden, just, you know, the way your chickens are eating the grubs that you turn up and then they're, you know, Fertilizing as they go. Yeah, producing manure. Um, You know, there's the the movie. I don't know if you guys have seen The Biggest Little Farm. Okay, you should both watch it. You would love it. It's a documentary that just came out in the last year or two about this farm out in California. But there are so many beautiful examples of this kind of farm that they produced where they would have a problem. There'd be some, like, there'd be some pest in the orchard. And then they'd realize that the duck that they were raising loved that pest. And there was, you know, just ways that Mm. the earth worked together. And I sometimes think our ecosystems are even more complex than we understand. And when you mess with one part of the system, it has such a broad ripple effect. Mm. I think there are so many examples of men thinking that they kind of have science down. Yeah. You know, that they've kind of figured it out. Um, Like we can reproduce all the vitamins you need by just making a pill. And it's like, no, there are so many dynamics and layers of the earth working together. Like you don't even understand what's happening in your own body, much less like what's Mm -hmm. happening in these systems. So I find nature to be just really beautiful in that way. Something that is beyond my understanding, but that I can witness with my eyes and experience and understand that like, I think the way that you feel spiritual a lot is to feel like you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself mm. that you don't always understand. Mm. And that's how I feel when I'm in nature mm. or working with the land. Yeah. I've, I've had some pretty major realizations the last year. Or so as I've felt myself being pulled to a place like where we're at right now, which is, you know, tucked away in the woods and this ability to kind of stretch my legs a little bit in a sense. And, um, growing up, I, there's like, pretty major examples in my life. Both of my grandpas are just incredibly hard workers, like to the point where if there was any downtime, you know, all the kids and cousins and stuff are trying to like find a way to take a nap or like to watch a movie and sneak away and get away from the work. And they were just constantly working. And as a kid, I remember just viewing that as like, when do they have fun? Like (laughs) that is so lame. All they want to do is work. Yeah. And now, now I'm finding that there's a lot of work in my life. I'm being pulled in a lot of different directions. And, and thankfully it's in 
for the most part, directions that I want to be pulled in, but I'm, I'm getting a lot of clarity and a lot of peace in my life from the work that is in front of me. And I think that is exactly what my uh, grandparents and my dad as well. My dad loves to curate like flower beds and we make a lot of fun of them um, because <laughs> he doesn't like grow a vegetable garden, but he makes these beautiful flower beds every spring. He's just like going out and, and, and is on his knees, planting flowers, pruning things and ends up by, you know, June and July or August at the peak of, of the bloom with these beautiful flower gardens that people just show up and are just like wandering around like, oh my goodness. And he spends hours and hours out there and it's so much work. Like one person could look at that and be like, why is that guy hurting his back by, by bending over for hours <laughs> at a time working on, on flowers. But for him, he would be more miserable if he wasn't. Right. Mm. And I, I've seen myself kind of trending that way. The work that I once tried to avoid as a kid is something that I'm now seeking out because there's, there's things that come along with that work and it is clarity and it is peace. And, um, I've just really, really enjoyed that. And, and my grandpa has had this quote as a kid, he would ask us to do something. So whether that was like clearing the table after breakfast or going out and, um, picking up sticks or whatever it would be, he'd be like, Hey, you, you got to go do that. And then we would kind of grumble and he, he would say, well, if you want to, you don't have to. And so then of course we're like, Oh, well we want to. And he's like, Oh, well, good. You might as well go out and do it. <laughs> and it's crazy. Just in this last little half hour, I kind of really, truly pieced together what that meant. And it, it's a sense of like, just becoming comfortable with the work that has to happen um, and enjoying it for what it is and what it provides you. Like there's just some unavoidable things that we just, we, we don't want to do and we'll never want to do, but are there positive byproducts to those activities into that work. And do we benefit from that? Do we grow from that? Are we finding a sense of peace? Um, and I have, that's really, um, been spurred for me, I think in the last couple of years where I've noticed that, and it's great to be able to draw from this well of, of quotes from grandpas and, and fathers <laughs> and experiences. Um, when as a kid, you, you lack a sense of wisdom and understanding the benefits to hard work. And I'm glad to now be in a position where um, instead of just constantly seeking comfort, I can seek the work because it's really benefiting me in ways that I could have never imagined. I think, you know, it's, that is actually just to be completely honest about myself. The thing that I'm struggling the most with mm -hmm. is the work. Cause I had this, you know, as Anthony was talking about his experiences in his childhood, I just suddenly had this like flood of memories coming back. And I'm like, oh yeah, I wonder how much nostalgia or childhood memories do play in this because I have very clear memories of my dad's parents, my grandparents who I stayed with every summer. They had a big, beautiful garden outside. And I remember being with my grandpa and being little and picking cherry tomatoes that were warmed by the sun and eating them right in the garden. And we'd bring food in and my grandmother would can. I'd always watch her when she was canning food. It was a different era, you know, mm -hmm. where that was much more common still. My mom gardened all growing up. My other grandmother had all these flower beds. So that's all in there in my DNA. Yeah. I just never really thought of it in an explicit way mm -hmm. until I missed it and started doing it. I have to be honest, though, that like I think just because I most of my adult life was spent in such a cerebral sense. I'm a writer. Yeah. I sit at my computer all day. I don't even tend to be physical. Like I don't play sports. I don't work out that much. I like to hike. I like to try to stay active and, and healthy, but I'm just not in my body physically present the way a lot of, you know, maybe more physical people are. So 
when it comes to the actual work of the farm, mm-hmm. my partner, Joe, is an amazing hard worker, the same way you're describing. He gets up early. He takes care of the chickens. He does all the stuff around the farm. He loves the projects. He'll, like, keep going and going and going until, like, he gives himself hernias, <laughs> which has <laughs> happened. Yes. And I'm just, like, I'm, like, I'm an, an, an enormously impressed with his work ethic, an incredibly hard worker. I have had to come to grips with my laziness on this farm. <laughs> it's, it's just like an honest, it's an honest characteristic. And I think it's an easy characteristic in a modern age when you're so used to things. Like I just buy things at the store or things are handed to me or like I work at my computer all day. And most of my time is like spent sitting. Like I go meet friends and what we do is sit at a bar. You know what I mean? So I have had to sort of learn that like I, I took, I, I got certified as a master gardener, but that was also cerebral, you know, it was all mm. classes. And then when it got to actually getting out in the garden, like I would be doing it and I'd be like, God, this is exhausting. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like, I'm sweating. And, and there's people, I think like Joe, who get really, and what kind of what you're describing me, Taylor, like maybe learning about yourself, but get really edified by it. I still hate it. <laughs> I still like, I want to go out and be in a beautiful garden and mm-hmm. pick the produce and then just have other people do the weeding and the yeah, work. Yeah. So there's something like I'm confronting about myself still about that. Like I do agree that the work is healthy and good. And part of earning the rewards is putting in the work. I'm just admitting right now that mm-hmm. I'm struggling with my laziness and it's hard to put in the work sometime. I just like want to look at the chickens. I'm like, Joe, you can take care of them. And I'll just like take pictures of them. Mm-hmm. So trying to learn how to, it's not just, um, yeah, I think there's an element where you have to give up some of yourself and invest it in the land to fully be connected to it. Yeah. I think if, if my primary job was manual labor, I might feel a little bit differently about kind of the hobby gardening and farming mm-hmm. that we do farming. It's chickens. <laughs> so that's too generous of a word. The, the, the hobby stuff we do outdoors, because we do invest a lot of time in our garden I have quite a few uh, daylilies that my dad had raised that I inherited. And kind of like your dad, Taylor, I like to try to create the flower beds and cultivate and make it beautiful, that type of thing. I think if I were exhausted from a hard physical day's work, I would feel different about the rewarding Mm -hmm. side of it, like in the evenings and in my free time. Um, Or if that was the only thing I did, I think it might even feel different. But the way it is, it feels like a counterbalance in some sense Mm -hmm. to being part of life that I... I'm a little bit like you, Beth. Most of my work is cerebral Mm -hmm. or relational with people. It's not in the dirt. It's not with animals, but there's, there's just something different about it. That seems like it balances the weight, balances something out in my life. How do you guys feel about, and I think even underneath my quote unquote laziness, because it's, I'm not afraid to do physical activities. I think there's something more to it, which is that one, I'm an impatient person. Mm. Generally, that's one of my character flaws that I have to Mm. really, spend time working on. And so I get frustrated very easily by like, I want the garden to be perfect. And yeah, if this you row gar- isn't as straight as it was in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Or if you've yeah. ever gardened Why aren't the tomatoes ready. <laughs> right. And if you've ever gardened, you know, like it's an endless experiment. Like sometimes things just aren't in the right place. They didn't get enough water or then the yep. storm came through or whatever. And it's just like constantly like frustrating. Like I just want it to grow and be pretty and like pick it. I don't, mm-hmm. I get frustrated <laughs> and it exposes, I think my, uh, other, uh, challenge called the character flaw. This is why it's probably good for me is my ego and my sense of competency. And so I feel vulnerable. I'm like, I don't know how to do this plant. Right. Mm. You know, I don't know how to, I don't, like you were talking about how you were having with your little chick, that kind of stuff 
some people really thrive off of like the problem solving of it. I just start to feel overwhelmed and like I'm an idiot and I don't know how to fix mm. this. And there's so many things about even hobby farming or gardening or raising animals yep. where you're not always in control. Like nature is in control. And I'm just a person who has a, likes to have an orderly life where I'm in control and I know what I'm doing and I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. And nature can just often make you feel like you are not in control. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you try to influence your control, you often look like an idiot. <laughs> well, how about this practical example? So we have our chickens in a shed. I made a really nice area for them. They have no interest in it. They want to get the highest point they can in the shed. <laughs> yeah. So I spent all summer putting netting up and roping things off because the highest thing they could find and they're devious. They would find all these ways to do it. And then they would lay their eggs up there and they would drop to the floor of the shed and shatter. <laughs> Great example of, okay, they're those things out of my control. Now, honestly, if I was a better planner and I was more careful, I probably could regulate those things. Okay. I have to acknowledge I'm not very good at that and adjust accordingly. And then they'll go and find some place outside to lay eggs for a week. And by the time we find them, most of them are bad. Okay. Jerks, like mm -hmm. there, there, there is that element of uh, I cannot control it. Yeah. Even when the dog got my chicken, I felt so bad. And I had, I was had to kind of talk myself through it. Like they were outside the fence, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, dogs are dogs. It's life. But I felt bad. And it made me realize I didn't think it through. Mm -hmm. Should have thought it through better. And a, a price was paid in ways it feels more practical than if I forget to send an email on the right amount of time. Yeah. So there, there is something about that, that I think you're right, Beth, that it, it exposes things in ourselves, either, either things we see as flaws that we need to work on or ways we haven't thought about the world that is worthwhile, or even just learning to kind of let things go. Like our peach tree, the last couple of years keeps getting this blight on the leaves mm. and we had one really good crop and now we get four peaches and every spring we're so excited. It, <laughs> all the leaves are out and every spring you kind of hold your breath. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things where you plan and plan and plan, but at the end of the day, you might have to adjust. Mm -hmm. So where my mind is going is that, um, I think just the, the sense of nature and how important it is. And if I could prescribe, I think there's certain things in my life that I wish I could prescribe to, to almost every person and see how they would respond if, if those things were implemented in their lives. And I'm sure people would have ideas for what would benefit me, but I think getting out in nature is just one of those things that. Um, if you could prescribe it to everybody, it would be wildly effective because people, they, they might get that same prescription, which is nature, but they're all going to take different things from it. And for, for me, some of that, like if we're talking about nature or, or the farm life is like Beth, you were mentioning is that it's difficult. Sometimes you have this grand plan in your mind and then to actually execute it, either um, you're not as, a, as effective as you hoped you would be at executing the plan or the garden or whatever, or oftentimes it's just beyond your control. You can do everything perfect and then nature has other ideas. And for me, the, uh, what nature and, and the farm has presented to me is just getting comfortable, like in that space of understanding, um, Hey man, your skills are not as sharp as, as they should be, or as sharp as, as you want them. I don't need to sharpen these skills. I truly don't. Um, but I'm, I'm in some ways welcoming it because I do want to become uh, more skillful, more well-rounded. I want to, uh, have the ability to do many things and try to be able to fix many things. And, and I think I get the sense that that's how Joe is too, where it's like, I don't have this skill yet, but I'm sick of calling somebody for help. And it's not <laughs> that it's bad to ask for help, but 
I want to be able to do that. And sometimes <laughs> money is a limiting factor too. And so if I'm going to make these repairs or I'm going to carry out this vision, I have to figure out how to do it effectively enough that it wasn't, um, that it wasn't a worse choice than just calling someone to come do it for me. And so I, I think that I, I'm seeking some sort of independence uh, as well and get a lot of satisfaction out of that independence. I have to sacrifice things for that independence. And oftentimes it, it results in shoddy workmanship. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to be independent, the product, the end product that I'm going to get is going to be worse than if I had asked for professional help. And so <laughs> it, it's like a give and a take. There's certain things that you can't, um, you can't compromise on quality. Like you have to have certain things done really, really well. Like I'm installing a wood stove and I'm going to be bringing people in that are going to actually know how to install a wood stove to do that. Because if I compromise, my craftsmanship becomes a limiting factor. It could result in my house burning down. I'm not willing to do that. Um, but there's <laughs> other things where it doesn't matter if there's like a crack or if the boards are too far apart um, because I'm learning a greater lesson than than um, the the negative aspect of the shoddy workmanship. And so that's just been so exciting to me is figuring out that problem solving and each day having to approach some new things. And then just understanding that I could, I could walk away from it at any point. Like if I really wanted to, it's not something I want to do, but I could, mm -hmm. like I could just not get chickens next year. Um, I could not build out the shed in the way that I want to. Um, so I think that it's provided a lot of autonomy for me and, and an ability to get outside and to commune with nature and feel that, I don't know, just that sense of like being one and letting go in a lot of ways of, of things that you don't have control over. Yeah. I mean, if anyone listening to this is romanticizes farming in any way, it would be, uh, helpful for you to interview some professional farmers, which is something I do in my job because to have your entire income and yeah. livelihood dependent yep. on weather and conditions that are often outside of your control, especially in an era of climate change and our climate up here is really changing. And in Traverse City, you know, there are crops that we're known for like tart cherries where farmers are just like, we will never be able to grow these again. Like the climate's not right anymore. Mm. It won't be a sustainable crop. Um, having to deal with like a wild warm up and then a sudden cold and you can like lose your entire crop in a season. So in perspective, our problems, like you said, Taylor, like um, our farm is providing us joy and we are mm -hmm. trying to raise vegetables and fruits. We have a little orchard, we have the chickens, but it's not our entire livelihood. Yeah, I was say, if your it, livelihood and your health depended upon it, it's a whole different kind of yeah. stress. And it's why so it. many farm, yep. I mean, farmers are leaving the profession. It's like overwhelming, like four to one now older versus younger farmers mm -hmm. are going bankrupt. They're selling out. Um, so I do think there's something lost in that. And I think, I think part of the loss of like what we see with like industrial agriculture in our country, this wide scale industry, it, I think it's very bad. Is it such an emphasis on monocultures and, you know, mm. these these methods of raising animals or crops that are not healthy, that go against the grain of nature? Chickens are not meant to be confined to tiny little cages and spaces. Um, we're not meant to just grow huge fields of soybean with no other variety because if one pest comes in, it can wipe out that entire thing. Nature is all about diversity. It's all about, again, these complex systems. And I think so much of what I see, what I feel like I'm being learning from farming, even just on a small scale. And I see it on the next size scale when I talk to farmers and then you see it when you study industrial agriculture is the more like you fight nature and the way that nature thrives and you try to impose man-made systems on it. It generally tends to go in a toxic 
an the unhealthy church. Yeah, yeah, it's like if you if if you're a spiritual and you believed if you believe as, as you guys might, you know, that, that God created these systems in this earth. And that's why it's so complex and beautiful and diverse. It's like then trying to interrupt that and impose something that's man-made and completely antithetical to it. Just those systems fail. Yeah. And I, how do you enter into the mechanisms of flourishing and help to maximize them rather than undermine them? It makes me think of when we were in new Orleans a couple of years ago, we went to one of the museums there and they were talking about, why New Orleans has such trouble with flooding Mm. and why the hurricanes are getting worse. And it's because ever since they built all the levees to help them to control the Mississippi river, it's had a devastating effect on, I'm not going to get their words right, but like the marshes that go out into the Mm. sea Mm -hmm. depended on that fresh water overflow to keep them alive. And now that it's been diverted, they're dying. And so hurricanes are getting closer to the land and continue to hit it harder and harder and harder. And so while in some ways it was super helpful to build the levees for particular purposes, it's had a really bad long-term effect because it wasn't meant to be levied. Mm, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I just, I think, I mean, I think that's the beauty of nature in general is that it's such a clear metaphor for so many things and we're a part of it in so many ways. And like, my mom has this project called Freedom Farm where she has gardens where women or people, you know, people who have been in abusive situations, people who have trauma in their past will come and work in gardens. And it's so healing. Like you were talking about Taylor wishing to give those experiences to other people. And part of it is just, I think, the beauty and peace of being outside in nature where you're not being bothered in anyone and you're in the sun and working in the soil. But part of it is the metaphorical nature of nature, which is that, you know, it's a clear correlation to see that when you invest time and love and care into something to actually see its physical thriving, to see a plant grow, to see gardens come to life because you invested time into it. That's a clear metaphor for human relationships. Well, I think too, Beth, like to see my kids like grow, what is Mm -hmm. that? 20 years, Mm -hmm. right? Well, it's all their lives, but there's something about seeing a, a quick turnaround, even if it's just one season, you know, four months, something starts, something flourishes, something gives fruit, and you can gauge it and learn from it and move on. There's something about that shortened time frame that I think can give hope for all the longer things in life. Like I often think as a pastor, the fruit of the kind of ministry I do, you might not see it for 10, 15, 20 mm-hmm. years. It's mm-hmm. really a long game. And there's something about the yearly cycle, I think, that can be comforting. Uh, discouraging sometimes too, yeah. obviously <laughs> things don't go right, but there's something about seeing, oh yeah, this is how it works. Mm. Stuff has to grow. Stuff takes time. Yeah. Fascinating because yeah, I was, I was looking at it from the opposite, which is, uh, for me, it's this slowing down of, and, and embracing kind of the unexpected and, and having to exercise the patience. And so I think however, whatever scale you put on it, like you said, man, it it gets frustrating sometimes to have to wait 10, 15 years for something to happen. And then to know that each year on the year, you're going to see some type of progress. But for me, it was, um, I'm sure I'm getting benefit from that, but it was this, this thing of like, oh, wow, I I have a project and I may not complete this project for a month or two. And for myself, my history has always been, I only do projects that I can finish in one day. Otherwise I'm probably calling somebody to come do it for me because I just, the way my mind works, particularly at night, I, I have to have completed that task 
or I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm going to be thinking about it. And it could be the stupidest thing (laughs) or the most simple thing that, that no one should be worrying about. And somehow my mind can, can work itself up into a lather and just be like, Oh man, can you believe you didn't finish that project? And it's just going to be staring you in the face first thing when you wake up tomorrow. (laughs) And I've gotten this sense of comfort from finally being to a, a point in my life where it's like, that's not going to get done today. You better just accept it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I'm a lot healthier and a lot better person uh, for it. And it, it doesn't mean that I'm lazy and that I'm, that I'm not doing the work that's necessary, but it's just being like, let, let it be sometimes. And that's, I think for this season of life that I've had, that's what's needed. I think that's, what's kind of cool about uh, nature is that it kind of hits everybody where they probably need to be hit. So looking at the time, this, this might be the final comment. I'm wondering, considering what's happening in Ukraine right now, kind of the breadbasket of the area, mm. a huge disruption in global food supplies. Mm-hmm. And add to that shortages everywhere. I mean, if you've walked into your local grocery store, you know there's empty shelves. The prices are going up to such a degree that I've seen some restaurants have been closing their doors. Mm-hmm. I think one up in Charlevoix maybe just closed because prices are just too high. I wonder if you won't see more people seeking to create little homesteads mm. of, we'll call us what, weekend farmers, mm-hmm. where it's not the main source of income. It's not the main thing at all, but there's a, there's a supplementing that's happening closer to home than that has happened in a long time, at, at least in lots of parts of America. I mean, it clearly just happens for some people all the time, but for people who have had the luxury of not having to worry about supply chain issues or how much something costs or where something's coming from, I think you might find a lot more people getting closer to nature here in the next couple of years. Yeah, that, that's a, a, a great way to kind of head out. And I think just where I've landed with this is, um, especially since most of our list, listenership is based here in Northern Michigan, where we just have a bevy of resources in terms of nature and, and being able to go out and like taste local fruit. Um, and, and truly eat from the land. We live in such a unique place is that I just think be open to, to letting nature soothe whatever ails you. We're in the right spot for it. Um, so thank you all for listening. We appreciate it and we'll catch you next time.